Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the 80th anniversary of Japan's attack on America. Frank Gaffney joins me to talk about China's attack on America today and DIE killing the U.S. space program. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. Obviously, you just can't let the day go by without acknowledging that today is the 80th anniversary of a surprise attack by Japan on American forces at Pearl Harbor. There was a very sweet story, I'll quickly tell you in the first five, which was there are actually some Americans alive today who were in Pearl Harbor at the time, members of the military, uh, who are part of a celebration in, uh, at, back at Oahu today uh, in Hawaii. And one of them, I just found this, they have uh, people telling their stories of what they remember about the day. Uh, one was U.S. Navy Seaman class, um, first class, David Russell. And, you know, he's obviously very senior at this point, but he told the story about being aboard uh, when they, the attack of the um, Japanese uh, military started. Um, he was uh, on the U.S. Oklahoma, and they were just starting to close the hatch and to, to seal themselves in, to protect themselves. And he said, you know, a momentary decision changed everything, saved his life, because he decided to climb out. Uh, and so he wasn't down in the, with the people who were hatched in below, which of course, who also, um, of course, they perished in this attack from um, Japan and on Pearl Harbor. Um, you know, it was a, a monumental a wake up call to many Americans. Americans obviously have been watching World War II progress, watching the, uh, what was occurring throughout Europe. You had the aggression of the Nazis uh, really moving into most of Western Europe, uh, much of the world watching in fear and, and confusion, not sure how to get involved, whether the country should get involved. Obviously, Pearl Harbor, uh, attack by the Japanese on Pearl Harbor caused America, the very famous speech the very next day, um, FDR's a famous speech, says this um, day of infamy. Um, his words was uh, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. What I want to say in the first five is this. As a result of that, obviously America got involved, uh, declared war on Japan very shortly thereafter. You had Italy and uh, Germany declaring war on America, so we declare war back, and so we're, we're fully engaged. Part of what was simpler about that, horrific as that day was, horrific as World War II was, horrific as all of the violence was throughout the world, was that you kind of knew who your enemy was. I mean, you knew that it was at least the country of Japan and their military um, in Italy and Germany. You understood this about where the world was and whose side we were on. And, and that you understood that the mission of the German Empire was eventually to control the world. People understood this. They understood we're fighting back because we don't want to be controlled by Germany. And so even though I, I do not want to diminish in the slightest the bravery and the um, strategy needed and the courage and the fight that it took, 
to eventually uh, emerge in World War II um, with America successful and obviously bringing about the surrender and defeat of the Axis powers. But it was in a war that, uh, that you could see very easily, good guys, bad guys. And you had a time in, that, in America where you still had, in that era, World War II, most Americans feeling pretty, pretty patriotic about their country, loving America. They are still, at, those, at that point in schools, children, high school, college kids were taught a good vision of America, taught about America's greatness and unique, uh, just unique greatness, the ideas of our founding, the importance of preserving the ideas of our founding. All those were kind of normal things in America at that time. And I want to talk about today, of course, just to honor uh, the service of everyone um, who fought in World War II, everyone who uh, was at Pearl Harbor that day. I think it's a beautiful thing that they have uh, people going back to Pearl Harbor recounting their stories of those who survived. Um, but I want to contrast it with the, with the uh, interview we're going to do next. We have Frank Gaffney joining us. I'll introduce him more in just a moment. But I want to posit right here that the peril we knew we faced looking at the, the situation uh, in the world uh, at 1941 when Japan attacked America at Pearl Harbor, we understood the peril because it was very clear. We knew who the enemies were. We knew the mission of the German, uh, of Hitler, was to take over the world. We understood that we weren't going to have America anymore. We weren't going to have freedom. We weren't going to have liberty if we didn't fight back to win. We understood our enemy. Where we are today, what we're going to be talking about Frank, with Frank Gaffney, is the role of China and the Chinese Communist Party and its threat, what it is posing as a threat to America today. The threat, the Chinese Communist Party, the, the, the country of China, poses against America. And I don't mean many millions of innocent people in China, but I mean the Chinese Communist Party, the people who enforce their will, the military of China, the threat they are posing to America is just as sinister, egregious, and deadly as what the threat was to J that Japan posed to America back in 1941. It's not a military war and, uh, with China, but it has the, the potential outcome. It has the danger of having exactly the same outcome, which is America no longer America, America no longer in uh, charge of its own foreign policy, of its own country, and the reason this war is in some, this China situation in America today is a little more dangerous, much more dangerous, is that many people don't see it. Now, people involved in foreign policy in Washington, D.C., who assess foreign policy, who watch China, they are aware, of course. But the, there's a broad swath of American people who are not aware of the threat China poses. And what I want to talk with Frank Gaffney about today is both the, the uh, physical actions being taken by China, you know, the aggression, this, uh, there actually was a news story out today about China's intent to build some military uh, base uh, in the Atlantic off of Africa. We'll talk about that. But the China, the, the conduct China's engaged in as attacks against America, um, and they are, they take many forms, uh, and we'll talk about those. And then the other aspect of the Chinese attack on America um, is the ideological attack, the ideological attack on this notion of is America's unique, extraordinary greatness, is it relevant, does it matter anymore, uh, what America stands for and how freedom and capitalism and, and rights uh, that we acknowledge in our founding documents, those freedoms and the entire construct of America is utterly antithetical to what China would impose on America. 
So I want to talk about both those things today to have us be aware that you know, we may not be suffering from the, the um, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and the instantaneous recognition by millions. Wow, we have to be at war. We have to fight. And we have uh, Frank Gaffney and an organization I'll tell you about uh, as we introduce him that is trying to raise awareness for the American people and for uh, officials and the American government, uh, really the uh, policy shapers, the uh, thought leaders in the country, helping to bring them up to speed on the danger China poses to America. So uh, on the first five, I'll just close out by saying I'm so grateful for everyone who stood up and fought in World War II who decided it mattered to fight back against Germany, against Japan, and eventually Germany, and to invest the, the uh, precious lives of soldiers uh, and the years it took to bring uh, the Axis power to their knees. I'm grateful for all of them. I'm grateful we still remember, do a remembrance ceremony on uh, the uh, anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, and then I'm going to turn and talk to Frank Gaffney. So, and I'll, I'm going to wait until we get to the next segment to introduce him, because what he's, I'll just tease it by saying, he is the uh, vice chair, the vice chair as well as among the founders of an organization called Committee, Present, Committee on Present Danger China. And I'll tell you more about that in a moment, but I'll wrap up by saying that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So we have, we're interviewing today on this show a, just a guest who's been on numerous times. It's always a blessing to have him. We have Frank Gaffney joining us. He is a, uh, the vice chair of this, and he uses the expression CPDC, so I... I I, I kind of stumble on it, but it's Committee on Present Danger China. Committee on Present Danger China. This was something formed in Washington, D.C. in 2019, just a, and a collection of very, uh, of numerous, really, um, luminaries in the world of thinking about the various ways in which China uh, is a great threat to America. Uh, they put on fabulous programs and, and seminars and webinars and trying to help people understand because just because a threat of what China uh, is poses to America isn't as visible to most Americans, it doesn't mean it's not as, as potentially deadly. So Frank Gaffney, if you recognize that name, in addition, we're going to focus on China today. But he is, uh, of course, if you've heard him before on my show, you know he's the founder and now the executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., uh, formed in 1988, I think. Yeah, 1988. And, and just an, a fabulous organization raising awareness about national security policy on all sorts of issues in Washington for decades now. But at this time, I really want to focus on the threat China poses to America. So please bring on Mr. Frank Gaffney. Hello, sir. Hello, Debbie. Hi. Hi, good to see you. Good. I'm glad you could join me today. Um, and I really do, um, I think this thing that you decided to do, as I mentioned, as I've introduced you to other, um, at other venues I've, uh, that have been really blessed to have the opportunity to introduce you, I often say you're the kind of activist, you don't just hear about a problem and say, just that's terrible, and go home and tell your wife at dinner, this is terrible. Instead of just hearing about problems in the world, problems, national security threats that we face, you're a doer, you're a thinker, you're an organizer, and so I know you're a part of, in fact, probably the, I think the main instigator of creating uh, this group, Committee on Present Danger China, um, and you serve as its vice chair, and they put on all sorts of wonderful programs. So I want to start off by just saying, um, I, I thank you for doing that, first of all, and um, so you heard me in, in the intro, I think, I want to talk about the kind of, you know, the physical threat China, physical economic type threats China poses to America, and then turn to the ideological and how much things would change. But just to start with, you had a big announcement, I think, out of the Committee on Present Danger China yesterday, and I'd love to have you talk about what that was. 
Well, Debbie, first of all, thank you for bringing me back to the program. I, it's one of my favorites, and I'm always grateful for the chance to visit with you and your audience. Um, just to calibrate before coming to that specific announcement, um, actually last week now, on your introduction, you talk movingly about the Second World War, how we found ourselves suddenly thrust into it, and all that flowed from a surprise attack at Pearl Harbor. 80 years ago today. I would simply add to what you said, what we confront at this moment in the form of the Chinese Communist Party, and I think you made an important distinction between the vast majority of the people of China and the people who misrule them, about by some estimates 90 million members of the Chinese Communist Party, and of that a fairly small number are actually calling the shots, specifically a dictator by the name of Xi Jinping. But that party, that communist transnational criminal organization, really is the right way to think of it, poses a greater threat to this country, I believe, than any adversary we've ever faced or even the combination of adversaries that you just laid out in the World War II context. And that's for several reasons. Um, partly, it's because for decades, the Chinese have been building up their abilities to destroy this country, which they make very little secret of having as their ambition. Without our noticing it, without our responding to it, and in fact, with our enabling of it, in a number of respects, which brings me to the announcement. One of the most important of those, Debbie, is that American investors, of whom there are something on the order of 150 million of us these days, are underwriting all of the threats you enumerated a moment ago, the economic warfare that the Chinese have been waging against us, again, for decades. Uh, the, well, they call it unrestricted warfare, meaning the political warfare, the information operations, the subversion, the influence operations, the increasing capacity to uh, wage military operations against us as well on the ground, in the air, under sea, and in space to potentially devastating effect. And again, on a scale, that makes what the Japanese did to 2,300 Americans at Pearl Harbor 80 years ago today pale, I'm sorry to say, into insignificance in terms of, of the devastation that they could wreak. So what we're looking at now is an enemy that is determined, uh, that is highly disciplined, that has been very patient, and that has been able in no small measure, thanks to us, to amass the capability actually to do what Adolf Hitler had in mind, as you said earlier, which is dominate the world in a way that Hitler could only have dreamt of. They are now bringing about, and it, ups, it is up to us. I call this, as you know, Debbie, you've heard me say this many times, we find ourselves in a particularly difficult phase of what I think of as the war for the free world. World War II was 
another phase of it. Uh, you could argue that World War I, the Korean War, Vietnam Wars were other phases of it. This is our times phase. And I'll close with this. Uh, my old boss, Ronald Reagan, used to say, every generation faces an existential threat to freedom, and it must be fought for and defended and passed on for the next generation to do the same. Uh, or we will spend our sunset years, he would sometimes say, telling our children and our children's children what it was like to live in the United States when men were free. And we're in such a moment, Debbie, and I again salute you and uh, what you do with this wonderful program to help the rest of us understand that harsh reality and hopefully take the kinds of steps that are needed to protect this country so we can turn it over to our children to live in freedom as we have had the privilege of doing. Great intro, great summary. I meant to tell our listeners, I do want you to read their website um, before I get into more specifics. The website for this organization, Committee on Present Danger China, is just presentdangerchina.org. There's a great mission statement there. I was going to read it, but I actually don't want to take time to do it. Read their mission statement there. Really summarizes all that they're trying to do. But you, on the website, um, Mr. Gaffney, you uh, summarize or five, you talk about five pillars that reflect the key aspects of our strategic competition with China. Uh, so you had military superiority, homeland security, advanced technology, economic strength, increasing competitiveness and the battle between democracy and authoritarianism. So let's start with military superiority. I was reading some things recently about how we compare with China in terms of our military uh, readiness, the size of our forces. And can you just address that? Like now with US, we always think that we are the world's single superpower, but China's building up as we are doing kumbaya lessons with our military. But how do we st stack up military superiority uh, versus China? Well, the way to introduce that topic is, Debbie, to rec recognize that we have been at war in principally the Middle East and, and Afghanistan now for the past 20 years. That's taken a tremendous toll on our military men and women, on the equipment that they wield in defense of our nation. Uh, and not least in the amount of research and development and modernization funding available to prepare for future challenges like that posed by the Chinese Communist Party and one might argue the, the Russians who are partnered up with them, by the way. Um, even the Iranians and North Koreans who are allied with uh, the Chinese and or the Russians. Um, are posing threats in their own respects as well. So when you do a sort of net assessment of where we are, how we stack up, I think there's no question that we have extraordinary um, warriors in our ranks, though quite a number of the best of them are being purged from them right now as part of what well, you called it a kumbaya moment. I think it's actually a, a critical race theory driven um, effort to purge, as I say, from our armed forces, people who don't seem to be sufficiently aligned with Joe Biden and um, the leftists who now run our government. Um, but setting aside the quality of um, many of our men and women in uniform, uh, the military has been hollowed out, Debbie, to a degree that uh, I've not seen since uh, Jimmy Carter's time. 
Uh, and that's principally because we've been wearing it out. And as I say, we have not been uh, keeping it up to snuff, especially for contending with adversaries who have not been burdened by that and also who have one other thing going for them. They have systematically stolen, the Chinese specifically, the plans for basically all of our modern weapon systems. Uh, if you look at the frontline fighter aircraft of China and the frontline fighter aircraft, the, the most modern of our aircraft, uh, few in number though they may be, they're almost identical. Uh, their bomber uh, is looking a lot like the modern bomber that's coming on stream now is uh, a dead ringer for our B-2 bomber. Um, submarines and uh, you know warships of various other kinds have all clearly benefited from being able to expropriate our technology. What does that mean? It means that for a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time it takes for us to field advanced weapon systems, they've put their, if you will, Chinese copy into place. In some cases, uh, they may be uh, superior to our own systems because they've been able to improve upon them as we've been building them. So these are the sorts of things that make a net assessment a little complicated. But I would say, especially when you consider that while China has global ambitions and will ultimately, I think, very seriously try to dominate the entire world. For the moment, most of their efforts are concentrated in the Western Pacific. The size of the fleet that they have there is considerably in excess of our entire fleet and growing by the day. Excuse me, and the only size part of, their fleet of our fleet is in the Western Pacific. Sorry, The size ahead. of their fleet in the Western Pacific is larger than our whole fleet. Is that what you just said? Indeed. Indeed, and Gracious. well, and and the part of our fleet that is in the Western Pacific is even smaller fraction of their fleet. So that's the kind of capability, and it's becoming increasingly true in air power, and uh, certainly in missiles uh, that can range even our ships at sea, and are designed to destroy them, um, as well as Taiwan and Japan and our bases in countries uh, in that region. Uh, you have a very formidable adversary. I believe when you throw in the increases in their nuclear capabilities, which I believe are probably now in excess of our own, we are dealing with a superpower. And it may be a superior superpower at that in some important respects, at least. On the subject of them being a superpower, it's very interesting. America did not evolve to being a superpower over the decades because their our mission was ultimately to rule the world. We, wanted, we won the Cold War uh, against Russian communism with the wisdom of Ronald Reagan saying, we've just got to show we're not defeatable, we're going to build up our weapons, we're gonna build up our capacity, and ultimately, Russia can't keep up. I mean, so, but that was never a mission, and this is a really important distinction when people think you shouldn't be so worried about China. America doesn't have the mission to dominate the world. As they always say, we brought our soldiers home after every war. They've just, I don't know how to capture, but America's just had the mission of being free and strong and a symbol to the world that we will defend those who are attacked, that we're the symbol of freedom. We didn't have that mission or agenda and we don't today to control the world. 
contrast that with China, and I know you have had Gordon Chang and many uh, different occasions speak on your, sh on your shows and on your uh, webinars. He's been here uh, on this show. It talks about the, the Chinese ideology, the Chinese mission is control the world. It is a combination of very ancient Chinese doctrine, which he talks about all the time. Uh, Gordon Chang, the expert on China, about there's a very ancient Chinese doctrine of a, a sense of that the Chinese race is intended to rule the world. And then combine that, compound that or combine that with the Chinese Communist Party mission today, which is very expansive. So for them to have military superiority in any aspect is very unhealthy. I know you know that's true, but I want to jump to ask you two things, Frank. One is that um, a paper, I think it came out of the Center for Security Policy, was talking about with that saying argument. This was uh, not, not by you. It was by Peter Pry. But he's making the point that we in America need to think not just China alone, but he's talking about a, a new axis. That was his term, axis, in writing a piece about uh, September, about um, uh uh, D-Day, uh, excuse me, about um, Japan's Pearl attack Harbor. on America. Mm -hmm. New axis, China and Russia's one. The other new axis is North Korea and Iran. Is, is, that, is that too dramatic to think of them as, as potentially axis powers that are against us? Well, I would put all four in that axis. Uh, in fact, I think that's what Peter is getting at. And um, I don't think it's an exaggeration, Debbie. And worse yet, we're watching them make calculations as we speak about whether or not they can act with impunity against the free world. And I'm fearful that they've taken the measure of Joe Biden. Uh, they've watched what he is doing to our country. Uh, you and I have talked about this before. I think it's really a wrecking operation right. uh, that's against our military as well as uh, you know virtually every other institution, our constitution for that matter. And I think they're emboldened by it. And that's what's particularly worrying is when you add what I was saying a moment ago in terms of additional capabilities to wage global war, should they choose to do so, with the perception that they can and get away with it, benefit from it, perhaps even achieve that ultimate grand design of all totalitarians, namely to run everything. Um, it makes it very dangerous indeed for those of us who want peace, who don't want to be um, subjected to the tyranny of, um, of totalitarians like Xi Jinping in China or Vladimir Putin in Russia for that matter, and yet are not being led at the moment in a way that you, you talked a little bit about my old boss Ronald Reagan, you know, what he called peace through strength is the one strategy that has really been time tested and we have departed from it very seriously and we may reap the whirlwind as a result. And, and dangerously departed from that. And I think there are many people watching what uh, President Biden is doing and, and just thinking he's, he's not He's not standing up for and fighting for the America uh, that's needed in this world with all sorts of danger presented to America. Uh, China being one, we're not going to go off on the danger of Islamic jihadists. That's a whole other danger, which we uh, show. touched on with, you know, with Afghanistan. But um, back to the five pillars. I love that you have these pillars because they kind of organize our conversation. We talk about the military superiority and homeland security. One more point, military security. I read a piece recently that was talking about the idea that China is in particular focusing on the physical agility and strength of its military. It is a, it is a specific focus on, on upgrading the military, the strength, the conditioning, uh, the capacity of their military. Uh, and you contrast that with a time which, you know, I probably shouldn't say kumbaya because it, it sounds uh, cavalier. 
we are not in America working in the way we have in the past to focus unilaterally on creating with our military a mighty strike force, a, a mighty military. We're distracted by uh, critical race theory, social justice theory, all sorts of things that distract us and in fact weaken us, they weaken the camaraderie uh, among the military. So that is a, a, an enormous danger. Your second pillar was advanced technology. And I, I just wanna skip over it because that is in part what you're talking about, China stealing our um, through, through years of trade deals, uh, stealing our technology in a variety of ways. I want to hit an economic strength, though, because that was, you touched on it in the beginning, um, but the idea that America's policies actually are, um, our economic, are, we're in a sense investing in China. Can you just talk about how are we doing that and, and how do we stop that? Sure. Uh, the essence of what uh, former General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party by the name of Deng Xiaoping decided to do as part of his response to the loss of the Soviet Union in the Cold War with the United States to assure the victory of China in the new Cold War, as he put it, that was going to begin early in the 1990s, was what he called a hide and bide strategy. And by that he meant we're going to give the appearance of wanting to just be a constructive part of the international community and thereby enlist as much help as we could get from the United States, from its uh, government, from its business sector, from its financial uh, industry uh, and others to uh, strengthen China and enable it over time to become able to compete with and ultimately defeat the United States. The economic element of this unrestricted warfare, which I spoke a moment ago, is absolutely central to what they've done. They've hollowed out our industrial base. Um, they've, in some cases, literally taken plants from the United States where they manufactured goods, which we sold to China, and they've rebuilt them there and they've sold those goods to us as part of this supply chain dominance that is uh, central to their economic model. But very importantly, Debbie, and I really want to emphasize this because it's a centerpiece of what our Committee on the Present Danger China is doing right now. We have been underwriting all of the things that we've talked about in China, the military buildup, the influence operations, the political warfare, uh, the sabotage and subversion, uh, and not least the economic warfare against this country, that whole of society warfare that they've been waging against us has been, unbeknownst to most American investors, been at least substantially paid for by us, by investments we've been making with Wall Street's connivance with the Chinese to put our pension plans and mutual funds and index funds and uh, exchange traded funds and other investments into some very dubious Chinese companies, all of which are controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, few, if any of them, have been audited in any way that makes uh, transparent the actual condition of those companies. And not a few of them are directly involved with the People's Liberation Army, the military of China. And all of them 
every single one of them has to help support the work of the PLA, as it's called, and the Chinese Communist Party at the direction of, uh, of that party, because that's the law in China. So all of these things are operating and we're working on a campaign. We call it the mad as hell campaign at the Committee on the Present Danger of China. People can find out more about it at madashellcampaign.org. We just did, you mentioned uh, webinars the committee has performed. Uh, we did one on Thursday of last week. I was privileged to moderate it. It was a terrific program, two hours long at madashellcampaign.org or you can find the full video of that presentation and why you need to know that if you're in the capital markets in any way, shape or form, it's very likely that you have in your portfolio Chinese companies that not only are probably not very good investments, but they certainly are potential threats perhaps to you, perhaps to your family, perhaps to your communities, perhaps to your country. Um, perhaps to the entire world. And we should not be doing that. So what this campaign is designed to do, Debbie, is create conditions under which people can disinvest in China to tell their stockbrokers or their fund managers or their pension plan uh, managers, we don't want our money enabling and otherwise empowering the most dangerous enemy this country has ever faced. It's a first very important step, I think, to getting right how we're dealing with the Chinese Communist Party threat more generally. I'm glad you brought up the Mad as Hell campaign. So I'm here, I, I have a, a, like two inches thick of papers of questions I could ask you. And I do want to ask you something, Frank. I know when we were texting earlier, talking, um, I, I said 30 minutes. Now, it's, we've had about 30 minutes. Do you have five more minutes or not really? I, I'm willing to go as long as you want me. This is important work, so I'm happy oh, to I'm stay with you. Oh, I'm thrilled to hear this. You can. Okay, great. Okay, so because I had Matt as hell to talk about this idea that the, basically there are virtually no Americans except those Americans who are members of the American Communist Party or something who want to help the Chinese Communist Party, who want to help the the uh, mission of the Chinese Communist Party to be expansive, to be world to strive toward world domination to control other nations. Nobody wants that. And I think most Americans would, if they actually knew that their happy pension plan, that they just, they didn't really examine every investment the pension plan made. They just know that's where the money comes from. They would want their pension company, pension plan, or whatever the other, um, other entity is that's investing in companies that are ultimately feeding money into China. They would want them to stop. I mean, this is such a sim um, an obvious, I think, unarguable point that most Americans don't want to do that, and they were unaware of it. It seems like it's as a, a slithering snakes behind the scene orchestrating all this, uh, and yet the money is going to China. And again, I, I loved your point. It's really important people to understand. When you send your money to support uh, companies uh, that are based in China, that are Chinese companies, they're obligated to be cooperative with the Chinese Communist Party. And so you're actually helping not just the, you're helping the Chinese Communist Party in their expansion mission, and you're helping them repress their people, which is what they do, which, which is you know, inherently part of being a communist totalitarian nation. They repress mm -hmm. their people. So again, people can go to your mad as hell dot org Madison campaign oh thank you dot org and and they are they, they can learn how they can speak with their own investment advisors their own and try to bring change so their money isn't being used to help china is that right 
That's right. And and more tools are going to be put into this mix as we go forward. A, a very good friend of ours who you've had on your program, I know as well, uh, Kevin Freeman yeah. is doing something that is highly complementary to this, and that is offering to train your financial manager about how to invest the way you would like invested, presumably patriotically, rather than in uh, our enemy. And that's a very important adjunct to this. We have a, another colleague I've uh, talked to you about in the past, uh, Debbie, uh, by the name of Roger Robinson, who's working on an app that will answer a question that most listeners have almost immediately, which is, how do I tell if the companies or the funds that I'm invested in are Chinese Communist Party controlled? And this app, which I'm hoping we'll have uh, on hand early in the new year, will enable you with a click of a mouse, basically, to ascertain that. And there are other techniques that I think are going to be also uh, on offer, directives to your financial managers uh, saying, get me out of China. All of these things and more are necessary to affect a course correction that unfortunately is made necessary, Debbie, because the people who are making a killing, and I use that term advisedly, on all of this, all of this funding of China, all of these investments, this transfer of wealth and so on, are fund uh, managers, financial mavens, uh, masters of the universe, uh, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call them, on Wall Street principally, who are making a fortune through commissions on these transactions. And they seem to have no problem whatsoever enabling, and as I say, empowering our country's most dangerous adversary of all time. Uh, and I think they need to be held accountable for what they're doing here and uh, told under no uncertain terms, not with my money. I love that. And that's actually a perfect segue to another topic I want to get into, which was the, the fifth um, of your five points or five pillars and uh, committee and present danger China. Uh, and again, for our friends, presentdangerchina.org. You should check that out as well as madashellcampaign.org. Your fifth one was a battle between democracy and authoritarianism. And I want to just say, you, you mentioned these um, fund managers who uh, seem to not be bothered with the ethics of making money by investing Americans' uh, retirement money or just investment money into companies that are really enabling the Chinese Communist Party. I want to segue back to something I said in the first five. At the time Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, I mean, I, I understand you can't make a blanket statement about everyone at that era, but mostly in that time, uh, we were in the early 1940s, we had the average American population, the average American person loved America, recognized America's unique greatness, wanted to preserve America. They just had a basic love of America. The anti-American communist left has been working away at the population, at students from kindergarten through 12th grade and colleges and universities, working away at undermining the idea of America's unique greatness, undermining the idea of capitalism and living in freedom. And, and that has resulted in more kind of friendliness toward the ideological idea of socialism and communists, or less revulsion to it, which I think uh, in the time I was growing up, everyone knew. You know, we used to call, uh, we, you, have, you have the communists and the free world. And that distinction does not exist in the minds of, of, of 
many younger people in America. They just they have a friendly idea about all these just competing philosophical ideas. And so if you don't have that unique greatness of America and, the, and recognize the many components of that, you're just not that bothered if you're being told, well, you know, there, this is enabling the Chinese Communist Party, and you get kind of a, well, you know, okay, that I mean, is that such a bad thing? I mean, you, you've lost that clarity. And, um, and I'm, I am, and it's a long question, I swear, but I want to lay the groundwork for this, and I'll let you roll. And there's a basic idea that China has been working, along with the communist movement in America, has been working, chipping away at the American uh, population, the love of America, love of our unique greatness, love of the promise of the Declaration, the ideas in the Constitution, denigrating those and inserting through Confucius Institutes and college campuses and other ways, just kind of working away at the, uh, the ethos of America's culture that says we, we love our country. And I think that is the, this communist, you know, non-military invasion is meeting a friendlier audience in America than the Japanese attack did because we knew then we loved, loved America. And that was a long question. So can you just respond to it and tell me what your, this is all about, your fifth pillar, a battle between democracy and authoritarianism. Just how do we win that battle and how do we get here that we even have to? Well, maybe we start with how did we get there? Um, you're absolutely right, Debbie. I'm sorry to say. I think there has been a very concerted effort. Uh, it, it began with the Soviets, uh, the communists of the old Soviet Union, uh, seeking very aggressively through KGB operations and the like over decades to essentially take down this country. Um, they ultimately lost the Cold War, uh, thanks in part to Ronald Reagan's successful strategy. He basically summarized it as, we win, they lose, and he was able to execute it brilliantly and accomplish that outcome without firing a shot, amazingly. The Chinese communists have learned from that, and they have worked as tirelessly on, as I mentioned earlier, efforts to subvert us from within. Uh, to sabotage, to, uh, you know, influence, uh, to co-opt particularly our elites, uh, notably, as I mentioned, those on Wall Street, but in other business uh, sectors, uh, in political office as well, to uh, Hollywood, academics, you know, on and on, um, the culture. This is something that they have done assiduously, and it's paid huge dividends. In fact, as, as I think you know, Debbie, because you've been talking to the same people I have been, um, Xi Van Fleet, for example, wonderful woman here in Northern Virginia who uh, lived through the cultural revolution in communist China. Uh, and she says, this is what we're living through right now. It is the communist uh, cultural revolution of Mao Zedong being brought to us in the United States. And it, the cumulative effect of that uh, has been to create an enemy within, as well as uh, this mortal threat exterior to our country and Beijing and, well, Moscow still, and as we talked about, Pyongyang and Tehran too. And it's the combination of those two things. It's the fact that uh, not all of us by any means, but some portion of this country no longer really do love this 
freedom that we take for granted, no longer revere the Constitution that guarantees it, no longer are willing to put their lives on the line to defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic, as you know, the oath of office, which I took, among others, um, you know, commits us to do. You put all of that into the mix and um, the audience would be not mistaken for coming away from this conversation thinking that all is lost. I don't think all is lost, fortunately, but I think the hour is very late. And this is why we think the work of the Committee on the Present Danger China, um, the work of our Center for Security Policy, which is highly complementary to that work in the China space, um, and, and others with whom we work assiduously, including your good self. Why that cumulative effort is so vital to alert the American people to the challenges that we're facing and to try to get those who do love this country, who do want to continue to thrive in it and to turn it over to their children and children's children to live in freedom too, um, must be mobilized and engaged. Uh, I think the country needs to be put on a war footing and maybe we could talk a little bit about what that would entail as well. I'd love to do that. And actually, I do want to talk about the war footing thing. I want to commend one article to our listeners. I think we linked to it on our website today. I'm not entirely sure. But it's on the Center for Security Policy website. And it's something by Stephen, uh, last name B-R-Y-E-N. Brian. Brian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he surveys the threat from China. And I think there was a longer piece. This is what I linked to. It's a three-page piece. Because I think that people who, you know, I always talk about, I, I think my audience is a lot of just, you know, um, hardworking Americans who have jobs and kids and bills to pay and, you know, just they, they have life going on. They don't have, they can't spend 100% of time focused on America's foreign policy. But to understand a great summary of the kind of threats China poses, uh, this is just a survey of the threats of China from China. I want to urge people to read that one too. Uh, and then let's go back to you, Mr. Gaffney. Uh, since you're saying you have time, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I want to just, 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 I'm going to pick up where you left off. I will stop talking. Well, this war footing idea is something I've been talking about uh, going back to, I think, 2015. We wrote a book on the subject with some of the best minds in the country. And at the time, frankly, we, like our military and our government and our people more generally, were principally focused on the threat uh, that I call uh, from Sharia supremacism. That has been uh, largely overshadowed of late by the Chinese communists. But interestingly enough, Debbie, despite the fact that the Chinese Communist Party is brutally repressing people on the grounds that they are Sharia supremacists, namely Uyghur Muslims, um, they are making common cause with the Taliban and uh, with Al-Qaeda and with the Islamic State and with uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and others, the government of Turkey, for example, um, the government of Iran, of course, as well, um, in a manner that is uh, giving rise to something we call the red-green axis. So the formulas that we identified um, in 2015, I think, are still accurate. We need energy security. Uh, it was something Donald Trump had prided himself on delivering uh, not just independence, but security. Um, Joe Biden set about taking a wrecking ball to that 
immediately on coming to office with the Keystone XL pipeline, for starters, uh, now the whole Green New Deal. Um, we need to protect our electric grid against the kinds of attacks that the Chinese, and by the way, the Soviets, now Russians, uh, the uh, North Koreans, the Iranians, all have as part of their doctrine, taking down our electric grid because they understand that that is a way to essentially take out this superpower. Because without electricity, we are not any longer a superpower. We need to protect, make more resilient our grid. Um, we need to have um, effective defenses against missile attack. These are technologies that are definitely known to us. We simply need to be exploiting them. We need to be diversifying our supply chains so that we're not relying on the Chinese for everything from rare earth minerals and flat screens and lots of electronic devices uh, to batteries and windmills uh, for the Green New Deal, no less. Uh, and even medicines, Debbie, I know you've looked into this too. This is this is insane. We cannot persist in this kind of behavior. And, and just to round this out, not least, go back to where we started. Um, we need to start making sure we are investing in national security entities in our country, not the People's Liberation Army in China. We need to be investing in, as I say, energy and high technology and advanced computing and the, the sorts of um, breakthroughs in all kinds of um, applications of artificial intelligence that will determine our future competitiveness both in the commercial sense of the word, but also in the national security sense of the word. And it all, all has to be underpinned, as you said so well a moment ago, by a belief in our country, the importance of its survival, and a shared commitment to ensure that it does survive through our collaboration with one another and our shared opposition to those foreign and domestic who would take it away from us. Frank Gaffney, that was a brilliant and wonderful summary. That war footing language and then what you, I was actually taking notes while you were talking. I'm gonna recap that um, uh, in another show because we're about out of time here. But I really wanna thank you because this was a wonderful presentation for people who, as they say, you know, they, they just assume America, the free, the great, the wonderful will always be here. And so we figured out in, from, uh, it, back on when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, we're gonna have to, if we wanna be here, we have, to, we have to fight back against these people, and then of course Germany and Italy. But here today, what you're describing and these other, uh, we've focused largely on China, of course, but other countries posing a threat because they don't want America to be strong, the free and the brave. And being on, I just cannot commend your work strongly enough, the, uh, raising, the uh, raising attention to issues that aren't, you know, they, they aren't the bombing of Pearl Harbor, but they are, for those tuned in, focused, aware of what's happening, uh, vitally important, uh, and they are threats to America's future freedom. So I want to ur urge our listeners again to go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org, madashellcampaign.org, that's a great name by the way, madashellcampaign.org, and then of course the Center for Security Policy, which um, 
there's a, a Secure Freedom. It's centerforsecuritypolicy.org, but you can also go through securefreedom.org. These are great websites. If you don't feel like you have a ton of time to immerse yourself in study, you can look at e all these websites and emerge with a great understanding of the threats America faces and of the brilliant thinking brought to these threats by Frank Gaffney, the organizations, the Center for Security Policy, uh, the Committee on Present Danger China, people who understand the issues and are willing to be in the fight, exposing the dangers, and proposing solutions. Uh, these are modern-day heroes. So Frank Gaffney, thank you so much for joining me. God bless you, Debbie. It's my privilege. I look forward to doing it again soon. Oh, me too. Great to see you. Okay, I have one last story, which I'm going to do in a nanosecond, because I think those people over the producer's booth are thinking, doesn't you know the time is almost up? It is. But I would actually two last things, but they're very short. One is I want to tell you, if you enjoy the, this show and the kinds of things you learn, a great way to support the show is to go to MyPillow. And I, if we can put that happy ad up, Mr. Becker, thank you very much. Um, we have MyPillow.com. You go to MyPillow.com. And the reason I'm telling, asking you to do this, if you would consider this, is you can shop. They have, I promise you, I, would never, I wouldn't pitch one thing unless I've tried it myself. They have great, high-quality products at MyPillow.com. You can shop for the pillows, which are their premier and their initial product, uh, which we have all over our house. Uh, but MyPillow.com has pillows, sheets, uh, uh, towels, really, really actually good bath towels. You know, the kind that, that actually, like, they absorb water and they're, they have the nice big kind. They're wonderful quality. We love having them in our home. Go, I put that up again one more second. Sorry, Mr. Becker there. But okay, so mypillow.com. And when you check out, you get up to 66% off, depending on the product and the specials they're running. Put in the promo code Debbie G. This gets you great high quality products on, on a discounted price. It supports mypillow.com, which is under attack from the anti American left. And it allows me to get a small percentage of those sales, which helps keep this show on the air so we can keep on talking about how to save America. Okay, so one last topic. This is my and truly a nanosecond topic because we're out of time. But all the kinds of things we were talking about just now, you know, how we have the uh, left wing uh, just obsession on discussing critical race theory and um, all sorts of left wing um, endless ideology. <clears throat> It's even impacting our space program. DIE, now I said die to play the, you know, the play on words that killing the US space program, but people usually say DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you can believe this, as now China and Russia are pouring money into their military, pouring money into their space programs, putting up satellites all over the place, satellites capable of spying on everything you're doing, everything we're all doing, China especially, but Russia too, launching satellites, taking over, uh, working really hard in their space program, setting very big and high goals for what they're going to accomplish in, in dominating space. We do in America, as you likely know, we do have a space force, a U.S. space force started under uh, President Trump. And I mean, at least we're thinking about Space Force as the next battleground as versus waiting until, you know, waiting until the Pearl Harbor of space happens. The Pearl Harbor happened because we weren't aware that Japan was going to attack us. And now we have satellites and uh, we have, as I say, China and Russia especially heavily investing in their space programs. So they want to be dominant in space. Massive, massive problem for the world if those totalitarian countries, both being totalitarian countries, get dominance in the world of space. So U.S. space program wisely put in place by President Trump. And so the um, 
Uh, I want to read you a quick quote. This is the uh, Space Force Vice Chief of Chief, excuse me, Vice Chief of Operations, General David Thompson, warns the threats are really growing and expanding every single day. He says we're now at a point where there's a whole host of ways that our space systems can be threatened. He talked about adding say, the, the U.S. satellites already face attacks every single day. So to think it's only on Earth or on the, uh, on the ocean or in the air or under, under the ocean, uh, it's in space. So our satellites are face attack every day, pretty much China doing this. And I just want to point out that the uh, November 4th, the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine released a 10-year survey in which they're outlining their priorities and funding recommendations for the next 10 years, the next 10 years in the fields of astronomy and astrophysics. So here's our space program saying, here are our goals, and front and center in their goals is diversity, inclusion, and equity. This is critical race theory. This is social justice warrior stuff. Has no place in the space program. I can guarantee you, in China and Russia, they're not looking around for diversity, inclusion, and equity. They're looking for the smartest people. They're looking for merit. They're trying, who are the smartest scientists, the best thinkers, the most strategic people, and that's who they're putting in their space programs. And if we're gonna spend time in our country focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're not focusing on who are the best and the brightest. I'm all in favor of anyone who has the highest merit, the best ability, the most competence, the most brilliance, the most education. I don't care about their race, ethnicity, national origin, or skin color. I want merit. You should want merit. Everyone should want merit. You want the smartest, the best, and the brightest being in charge of and working on the space program because we are in America already watching China and Russia pouring money into it, pouring money into the space program, attacking our satellites, and we're down here just like the left wing foolishness has been doing in the military, trying to distract the preparation of our military to be a mighty fighting force to stand up for America, the same kind of social justice warrior, anti-American leftist foolishness is now invading the space program. These are dangerous things. This is not like a difference of ideology with no consequence. Just when you hired a brain surgeon, a serious choice you had to make. Would you want the best and the brightest, one with the most merit, the most accomplishments, the most skills, or would you say, may I please see uh, your diversity, equity, and inclusion score, Mr. Brain Surgeon? No, you want merit in everything that matters in life, whether it's sports, whether it's the space program, whether it's doctors you hire, an architect you hire, you want to hire the most competent. Merit matters. Merit is what, and, and merit is available to everyone. And we want to have equal access for people of every race, ethnicity, national origin, and skin color to pursue careers in anything they want to pursue a career in and, and get the proper education, the needed education, and emerge as a leader and as a thinker and then get into those programs. But we actually have our space program planning the next 10 years, centerpiece tied to money, tied even tying diversity, equity, inclusion as a centerpiece of its instruction and tying it to grant money uh, because if, if you comply with what they want. People, this is just left-wing foolishness uh, that is going to actually end up harming our, our very, our country, harming our 
our people, if we are going to play games with the military, space program, or anything else, and divert or subvert the idea of merit and replace it with diversity, equity, inclusion. Not helpful for America, not helpful for the space program or anything else. Before I go to why it matters to you, I want to tell you, it's very late to tell you this. I meant, kept meaning to introduce this and I forgot. So I'm speaking tonight. Um, I have a bunch of speaking things coming up, but I'm speaking tonight um, in Texas. Uh, the group call is called Texoma Patriots. Texoma Patriots. And I think you can go to uh, texomapatriots.com. That is T-E-X-O, oh no, actually, you know, well, I think you go to texomapatriots.com. But they have a meeting tonight at the Red River Cowboy Church, Red River Cowboy Church at 3800 Highway 691. Um, and, and so, and anyway, speaking at 7 o'clock, it's a great conservative, uh, you know, on-fire group. And so tonight, text, oh, thank you so much. Okay, so Texoma Patriots, I'm speaking there at 7 o'clock tonight. Um, and so you'll hear a lot, you probably a little bit reference to today's show, and you'll hear some more ideas I have, kind of tying where we are today, comparing where we were uh, on December 7th, 1941. So now we'll turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started talking about the, it is the 80th anniversary of Japan's attack on America, December 7th, 1941, the single event that served as the unmistakable wake-up call to the sleeping giant, the words of one of the great Japan, a Japanese official who after was fearful when Japan attacked America, said he feared we'd awaken, they had awakened the sleeping giant. The sleeping giant was and is the American people, not elected officials or bureaucrats. December 7th, 2021, 80 years later, Millions of Americans are awake to the Marxist attack that's every bit as serious and consequential, but millions more need to awaken. China under the CCP is a different but equally sinister threat and danger to America. Many Americans don't see this threat or understand it, and others are ambivalent. The deep state radical left cabal that is running the U.S. government embraces a communist New World Order vision that aligns with the CCP, and so they're not alarmed about what China might do. These people are enemies of America. The stolen election of 2020 was a cyber Pearl Harbor, and the left's agenda is the war plan. Will the sleeping giant wake up in time? And we talked about DIE or DEI, Killing U.S. Space Program. Reports continue to surface a very active Chinese and military uh, and Russian military space program. Uh, U.S. Space Force lags as U.S. military academies. The academies prioritized around implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion personnel programs instead of strategic defense and readiness. Highly consequential satellite communications are absolutely critical to the military. DEI, or DIE as I like to call it, purportedly addresses systemic racism, which, as you'll hear many black conservative scholars say, does not exist. Systemic racism, but emphasis looks and feels like purposeful weakening of the U.S. military, a brazen denigration of the concept of individual performance, character, and merit as fundamental to military recruiting and promotion, a military charged to defend a country they are taught is systemically racist, has no reason to fight. It's not nothing worth defending. Main Street Americans understand all of this intuitively. America must find new military leaders who understand it too. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. Thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America, because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Like a crashing wave.
talk truth about America. Hey.